In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Our Lord is being set up in this 22nd chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. He is being approached by, not Pharisees, but disciples of the Pharisees, who had already in the previous passages and chapters were trying to corner Jesus, trying to find a way to trap him. So now the Pharisees send their disciples, perhaps so as not to be visibly recognizable, along with the Herodians. The Herodians were Jews, but followers, servants, maybe even uh, ministers or perhaps soldiers of Herod, the king. These two groups despised each other. But they were unified in trying to find a reason to frame our Lord to be able to get rid of him. And so the question they pose him is designed precisely to get him in hot water with one or the other group. They ask him about the census tax, which was to be paid to Rome. The Pharisees were absolutely opposed to the paying of the census tax. As much as the Pharisees were um, hypocrites um, and lacking in good faith, they were outraged that the the Jewish king, I, I say king in quotation marks because Officially, he was the king, but he really was a puppet of the Roman emperor. Was taxing all the Jews and sending the money to Rome. And extorting them as well. But they weren't just upset about um, too much tax being taken from them. They were outraged that any tax was being sent to Rome. This is part of the religious identity. They, they want to be free. They take pride in being the chosen people and are outraged that they are subject to any empire. The Herodians, meanwhile, they're all in favor of taking up the census tax. They're benefiting from it. And so these two groups, enemies of each other, go hand in hand and and. and approached our Lord with this question. Is it lawful to pay the census tax or not? What do you think? Like many other situations, our Lord finds a way to slip out. It reminds us of his saying, who is without sin, cast the first stone. And that sent them away. Or even when he was being dragged to the brow of the hill at Nazareth, and he just simply uh, escaped from their clutches. Render under Caesar what is Caesar's, render under God what is God's, is a statement to which no one can object. And so they've lost this battle. But at the same time, he's not just simply coming up with a useful 
combination of words to confound them. Granted, at first reading, we understand that we have obligations to each other. We owe each other some things out of justice, whether it be out of agreement or otherwise. None of us can simply say, I owe you nothing. Everything I have ultimately comes from God. Therefore, I owe you no thanks. I owe you no payment for your services. I um, owe you nothing for your end of the contract. That doesn't, that doesn't square. And so usually when we hear this gospel passage, we're treated to some type of sermon about civil duty, civic responsibility, paying your taxes and otherwise, and that's not um, objectionable, but not terribly interesting. Consider some other things that was going on as our Lord is returning their questions with his own questions. He asks for the coin. Let me see the coin. How do you pay this tax? And so they produced one. Which already, right off the bat, demonstrates some of their hypocrisy. Because if they refuse to have anything to do with Caesar, they have to admit that they're using his money in the temple. They're changing his money for their money. They're engaging in trade with this. If they're so outraged at the indignity of this empire being over them, they don't mind profiting by it when they have the opportunity. They have his money in their pockets. He asks, whose image is this? As, as Christian believers, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, that should delight us to no end. He knows perfectly well whose image this is on the coin. He's not, in, he's not ignorant of that. But he wants them to have to acknowledge who this is. He wants them to know that he doesn't really care. This is supposedly the most important, the most powerful person in the world. It doesn't really register. Tell me, who, who is he? Is that what he looks like? Really? The fact that the coin may very well have had inscribed on it, Caesar's, one of Caesar's titles being son of God, just adds to the comedy of it all. This really is the eternally begotten Son of God, and he's showing that this, this creature doesn't lay claim to that title. Who will lay claim to that title? Those who belong to God and accept baptism. They will be adopted sons and daughters of God. They won't have earned that title. They won't have conquered it. They will have been given it. Because Christ will have conquered death by dying on the cross. The Son of God will wear a crown of thorns 
and die for us so that we can be called sons and daughters of God. In baptism, we are imprinted permanently, indelibly, forever. Our souls are changed for all eternity. Hopefully, no one ever has to ask the question, to whom do you belong? Whom do you resemble? What's your proper title? We don't necessarily go around drawing attention to ourselves unnecessarily, but it in these days, it should be obvious that we're Christian because there are things we don't do, places we don't go, things we don't say. And there are groups to which we do not pledge allegiance. It'd be easy to say that we live in a very different time when the government does not expect us to worship the deity, to burn incense at different altars just to prove that we're not closed-minded. But we know that's not true. Because atheism, atheism is a religion. And we are being persecuted precisely because we won't burn incense at its altars. And so our Lord's words are even that much more pertinent to us. It's not just pay your taxes. Our Lord could have told them what they already knew, that living under the Roman Empire wasn't all that bad. Remember the Egyptians? Remember the Babylonians? Remember the irony that it's, it's the Persians. It's King Cyrus who's called God's anointed who, who releases you and commands that you go back and rebuild the temple. You've been in far worse situations than this. And what were you told to do then? You were told to obey the laws, pray for those people, conduct yourselves well, keep yourself clean from sin, but otherwise, be good. Do what's asked of you without participating in their pagan worship. Our Lord has come to rescue us, but probably not in the way that we would want immediately, whether it be lower taxes or uh, other freedoms or other advantages. He, he's come to rescue our souls. And when, when we belong to him and are in his grasp irretrievably, no one can harm us in any great significant way. On another level, on another another level altogether, which is already on your mind, but we also know the irony of our Lord's statement: everything belongs to God. Understanding well how our Lord works through secondary causes, still, ultimately, every everything has as its final end God and the glory of God. Everything was made to glorify God. That is the fulfillment of everything's purpose. So render unto God what is God's. That's Give God everything. Our Lord had to ask them for a coin. 
which also proves that he didn't have the coin in his own pocket. He had no money to pay their taxes. He didn't have their money. So while we do pray for our persecutors, love our enemies, and allow ourselves to be governed by a foreign empire, we at the same time don't. We don't belong to it. They do not own us. And so like Christ, as a pilgrim walking through the valley of darkness, when we walk with him, we fear no evil. We ask the Lord then to give us the spirit of true sons and daughters of God who love his creation but know that this place is our home but for a time. Our suffering will be limited. Our consolation will be infinite. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.